Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello. And welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I am your host, Aaron Sagers, journalist, researcher of all things weird, and currently I can be seen on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. In the late 1960s, the seeds for a moral panic were planted in America and set the stage for what would eventually be Come known as the satanic panic, which gripped the nation in the late 70s and through the 80s. And uh, religious fundamentalists, law enforcement, mainstream media, they all got into the act. They viewed a threat of ritualistic satanic abuse and dark occult forces seemingly around every corner and threatening to corrupt or even kill the youth of our nation. And then it faded away. Where did it? Because in the world of QAnon and Pizzagate, it would seem that we are in the throes of another moral panic that has a political bent and a anti-LGBTQ agenda. And frankly, where those that disagree, people that disagree are labeled heretics and groomers. Now, to discuss this latest iteration of a moral panic, I have assembled a panel of experts, which I'm going to bring in. But first, we have a word from a partner. Talking Strange is proud to be partnering with Hauntlanta Paranormal Convention happening September 22nd to 25th in Atlanta, Georgia. You can come meet paranormal personalities such as Amy Bruni, Adam Berry, Chip Coffee from Kindred Spirits, the cast of Destination Fear and Ghost Brothers, and me. I'll be there. Uh, also, you can attend lectures, take part in wine tastings, kill zombies in laser tag, ghost hunt, and more. Plus, Talking Strange is hosting a kickoff celebrity panel on Thursday night and a Friday night paranormal story hour as well as a live recording of the talking strange podcast with surprise celebrity guests it's all happening this september 22nd to 25th 2022 in atlanta georgia at hauntlanta get your tickets at hauntlanta.com okay now let me get to my guest my first panelist danny sophia is a producer and chief content officer for the ultra culture podcast and Magic.me, an edge tech startup in the field of online education that specializes in synthesizing the world's ancient spiritual traditions into clear step-by-step methods for the modern crowd. She has given lectures on topics such as uh, Kabbalah, Anakian magic, Tantra, meditation, and more. And Danny, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. Next up, Michelle Belanger is an occult expert, presenter, singer, psychic, author of more than 30 books on the paranormal topics. She has been featured on TV shows including A&E's Paranormal State, Travel Channels, Portals to Hell, as a psychic medium and occult expert. A person of many talents, Michelle has performed with musical groups including the dark metal band Urn and the gothic duo Nox Arcana in the 1990s. Michelle was the editor of Shadow Dance, a magazine dedicated to dark French culture that has since been reborn as a podcast. Nowadays, Michelle teaches online classes, creates a variety of resources for personal psychic development, and you can even visit Michelle's Inspiration House, a 150-year-old Airbnb, and home to a cozy haunting, which is at inspiration36.com. Michelle, thanks for joining. Okay. And we also have this gentleman that uh, this is my first time speaking to him. I'm very excited to. Joseph P. Laycock is an associate professor of religious studies at Texas State University. He teaches courses on world religions, religion in America, new religious movements, and the intersection of religion and popular culture. Is the author of several books, including The Penguin 
book of exorcisms and pertinent to today's conversation dangerous games what the moral panic over role-playing games says about play religion and imagine worlds joe thanks for joining thanks glad to be here i'm excited to have each of you guys around uh for this talk and we are already getting people in the conversation that wants to join in and i want to encourage everyone that if you have questions please register them in the chat to begin with uh, just for a little bit of context let's talk about the origins of what we refer to as the satanic panic and joe why don't you start with that can you give us a bit of a a brief primer about the origins of that yeah so the 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 essence of it was in the 1980s and 90s uh, a belief that there was a conspiracy of organized criminal satanists uh, who were conducting human sacrifices to satan throughout the country uh, somehow without creating any evidence of any kind right no no bodies no missing people uh, and also ritualistically hurting children and the claim was that the trauma inflicted in these rituals was so severe uh, that you wouldn't remember that it happened, right? And so you would need a, a special therapist to basically hypnotize you and help you recover those memories. And there was a theory that this was sort of how Satanists basically reproduced, if you will, that they take ordinary people, traumatize them to the point where they dissociate and create an alternate personality. And so you could even actually be in a satanic cult and not know it, right? You could have abuse you didn't remember, and you could have another personality you weren't aware of that was actually going out and abusing uh, uh, other people. So this peaked in the 1980s and 1990s. As far as when it actually begins, historians disagree. They look to films from the 1960s. Some have even looked back to stories by people like H.P. Lovecraft from the 1920s and 30s for the origin of this. And it's also important to remember that these kinds of accusations, they drink blood, they hurt children, are basically as old as humanity. These are the same things that the Christians were accused of uh, by, the, by, by the Roman Empire. So in some sense, unfortunately, I think we're hardwired uh, for these kinds of conspiracy theories. Yeah, and I, 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 I want to add that, yeah. that it's also a very key, uh, a key element to the blood libel, um, the, the anti-Semitism that was very, very popular throughout Christianized Europe. And, and Michelle, I was going to actually, I was ask, going to ask about blood libel. Um, talk about that, because when we say anti-Semitism, it's, it was something that was accused, uh, uh, or Jewish people were accused of. Oh, well, so back when we had uh, witch crazes and inquisitions and all of the terrible things going on in Christianized Europe, broadly Western Europe, uh, a key element of that, the reason why witches are supposed to have sabbats, and that is the same word that Jews share for, it wasn't that like witches were Jewish, it was Jews were believed uh, widely to be sorceress, to be like master wizards. Uh, and also to be great traitors to a Christian worldview. They were the ones that had killed Christ. Uh, and this very, very negative, incredibly harmful myth grew up that Jews were bent on drinking the blood of children, perverting Christian rituals, stealing the host, torturing it, like, like incredibly horrible things none of which make any sense, but that's a pretty common thing with these hysterical movements. Uh, if you try to pick apart the accusations, this isn't happening anywhere. This isn't anything that people actually do, but the fear of it is, is a key. And it has definitely come down to us, partly in ideas about vampires and drinking blood and various folks that are somehow damned or excluded from Christianity. And at this point where we stand, it is definitely something that is set in opposition to a Christian worldview, a, a glorified Christian world. Uh, now we see the same thing um, echoed in accusations about blood drinking reptilians, the whole adrenochrome thing. Like there's so many pieces of it that have like filtered down that not everyone who participates is even fully conscious of the anti-Semitic roots. And 
yeah, the the love the blood drinking. It's been, I've actually have to say it's been a long time, too long perhaps, since I have been accused of being a reptilian. It used to happen pretty much every every week, and I feel like it's been a while. So let the reptilian accusations commence against me. The uh, I and and anyone can open uh, can respond to this, but it seemed like even though we associated with the 80s and the 90s there were you know and joe you kind of mentioned pop culture and movies we had rosemary's baby we had the exorcist in 1973 but we also had the manson murders in 69 and that was the same year i believe that anton lavey published the satanic verses were those things kind of connected was this the the wave of cult-like crimes from the Manson family and LaVey and and then a little bit later we had the things like D&D emerge and whatnot but were those two kind of elements connected do you think that helped set the stage for what became the satanic panic I, Joe why don't you start on that all right then uh, yeah so Anton LaVey starts the Church of Satan in 1966 and it's really important to remember that in 1966 people were not as freaked out about the devil, right? He would, I mean, he would literally wear these like red pajamas with horns and people thought that what he was doing was kind of cute or interesting or kind of a, a human interest story. Uh, in 1968, Rosemary's Baby came out uh, and this was directed by Roman Polanski who did it in a very realistic style. And a lot of people said that uh, Rosemary's Baby set the stage for the satanic panic because the Satanists are your neighbors. They're actually your totally sweet elderly neighbors. Um, the obstetrician is actually a, a Satanist. So it's moving the idea of witches from being kind of off in, uh, you know, Transylvania or something like that to being in your neighborhood, in your, your doctor's office. In fact, reviews of Rosemary's Baby said, uh, well, everybody knows witches aren't real. This should have been set in, in Europe or something. Why is it set in, in contemporary uh, America? Uh, the producer for Rosemary's Baby was William Castle, who was very famous for doing things like putting joy buzzers in the seats of his horror movies. And he wanted this to be his big, serious movie. And uh, the uh, the Manson murders happened the following year. And of course, the, the, the primary victim uh, was Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate. And so there was this sort of uncanny connection and William Castle exploited that. And he wrote a book basically saying, witches are real. Everything in my movie is real. It's all coming to life. And he did that because that's sort of what he, he had always done. He was a master showman, uh, but that really was, was pivotal for uh, setting this idea that uh, uh, Satanists are all around us uh, uh, murdering people. And for everyone in the 1960s who was annoyed by the hippie movement, Manson was like, I knew it. I knew all this peace and love stuff was just cover and they were out to kill us the whole time. And now there's finally a, a smoking gun. So I think that convergence is key for looking at the origins of, of the satanic panic in the in the 80s. And I, I just want to interject, but uh, clearly Salman, Ru Salman Rushdie is on my mind. Uh, he wrote the mm -hmm. satanic verses and uh, LaVey wrote the satanic Bible. And um, uh, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about Rushdie lately and, uh, you know, my heart goes out to him. Um, but uh, that said, so th we also we have yeah the, these books like Go Ask Alice, uh, Jay's Journals, um, Michelle Michelle, Michelle remembers. There you go. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> so, so how did this? Uh, how did that contribute to it? as well because again these these were books that didn't necessarily well were they real tell me were like do was there any kind of factual basis for the stories in these books no uh michelle remembers was written by a psychiatrist i hope i get his name right i think it was lawrence pazder and the the case study for that book was uh michelle smith who interestingly enough ended up becoming his future wife which is uh, a, a whole other angle to look at it as, but that's where uh, RMT or recovery memory therapy, which is like very, very, very widely discredited to like almost in like a neurolinguistically programming sense, like implant memories that weren't really there that are just attached to like very complex forms of uh, trauma or PTSD that are just like 
um, exacerbations of that. So that's where a lot of that stems from and um, how that is inextricably linked to the political sphere is where the perception of uh, SRA really comes from. Uh, the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect conducted a study that was led, I think it was by the University of California that was directed by like Gail Goodman, which found that among like 12,000 accusations that none of them had any substantial evidence at all that they could link to anything. So there were like no definitive patterns that they could trace because mm -hmm. it was all just based on like unverified personal gnosis, essentially. And even gnosis is a, a bit handsome of a term. So the and it was Beatrice Sparks who wrote both Go Ask Alice and Jay's journal, right? Jay's journal was was at its core, correct me if I'm wrong, at its core there was a, a a real boy who had who had uh taken his own life and then it was beatrice sparks that kind of connected uh, added in the occult seasoning for the book um right around that time is that when we first start connecting dungeons and dragons to um this this satanic movement joe yeah, so if you're interested in, in um, Beatrice Sparks, a great book uh, just came out about her called Alice Unmasked. And this woman did like five or six books that she said were the journals of troubled teenagers that she just happened to find. Mm -hmm. And one is about, you know, LSD and one is about Dungeons and Dragons and the occult and, and one is about uh, AIDS and just whatever people are freaked out about that decade. She just happens to find a dead teenager's diary. <laughs> Uh, related to this, it's it's pretty shameless. Um, Jay's journal is especially shameless because this really was based on uh, a journal left by a, a boy who committed suicide. Uh, but none of the stuff about the occult or Dungeons and Dragons was in there. She added that basically to uh, to spice it up. And the family, um, you know, suffered all kinds of uh, problems, including their son's tombstone being stolen. <laughs> Right, because people read this, and it was very obvious to figure out who Jay uh, uh, was, even though nothing else in the story about him is is true. Um, so Jay uh, lived in uh, Utah, and some of the first attempts to ban Dungeons and Dragons from public schools uh, did occur in that state. Uh, and so Dungeons and Dragons is published in 1974, and uh, even before the the Satanic Panic was full blown in the 70s, there was a panic about cults and cult leaders who could brainwash people. So if all you know is people are really into this game and the person who runs the game has the title Dungeon Master, <laughs> it lent itself to this, this kind of narrative. Um, so there was a boy named Dallas Egbert who disappeared in uh, 1979. Uh, a private detective came up with this totally absurd theory that he sort of was in a fugue state, unable to discern fantasy from reality. None of that was true, uh, but he held a press release claiming that. Uh, and of course, the, the the press went wild with that story, and it was great for sales of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and ultimately, that theory was adapted into a movie called Mazes and Monsters, which is one of Tom Hanks's first movies. I'm sure he wishes that we would all just forget about Mazes and Monsters, uh, but it's kind of like the Star Wars Christmas special. It's one of those things that, that will never go away. Uh, so that was really kind of the beginning of this panic about D&D uh, &D and, and Satanism. Well, and there's there's a push me pull you of like social and economic things going on. Like it, it's no mistake and no coincidence that a lot of this starts to happen on the heels of the civil rights movement, on the heels of the free love movement, on the heels of uh, a lot of stuff that's you know being pushed from the hippie movement, which is you know intertwined with environmental movements, pagan and Wiccan, like much more open practice of witchcraft, uh, and much like where we're at right now, you've got a, a, a small but very vocal, very violent minority pushing back against what they do not want to see in their proper culture. And and I just want to stick, I don't want to stay in the past for too long, but I do want to just follow up with that. I mean, actually, Michelle, let me start, let me uh, continue with you for another moment. I mean, you wrote uh, a book, a great book, which I recommend frequently, Dictionary of Demons, and you've studied this, and and Joe, you've uh, you've written about exorcism. I mean, the the belief in in entities, uh, angels, demons, uh, it's real. It's 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 real. It's it's nothing new. 
are we to say that during this original wave of the satanic panic that there was no evidence whatsoever that some uh, satanic ritualistic abuse was actually happening? Where there, Was there no evidence whatsoever? Because there, there are people that do actively believe in these things. Yeah, there, there are uh, organizations that conduct those kind of practices, but most of those organizations, one, are not based uh, in, in the U.S., and two, are so small that there's no way they could ever garner any kind of attention to influence any micro or macro political sphere. Like the, the organizations that come out of uh, the metal scenes in the 80s and 90s, orders like Temple of the Black Light or the Misanthropic Luciferian Order or the Temple and Falsius Cruentius that are attached to like the 182 and 218 currents. But that is like such a small, small percentage of people. That's like looking at a, 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 a beautiful text like the Quran and just summing it up as, oh, that's an extremist text. It's like... No, that is just like a gross oversimplification, or it, it's just like a complete misdirection. It's not even a simplification because it's a beautiful book that uh, just a, a, a very small portion of people they garner to represent the whole, which unfortunately can be traced all the way back to people like McCarthy, like Joseph McCarthy from the 50s doing that with McCarthyism. Yeah, I would even argue that some of these like very small groups are inspired by the accusations cooked up by the dominant culture trying to say that like if you play the music backwards it's going to tell you like you know it's going to back mask all of these messages the point being that once those accusations came out there some people thought they'd be clever and put messages in just to punk everybody like it feeds into itself and there are some people who definitely will be like well this this is a great way to be subversive and horrible let me let me like just do this but uh and it ends up in the x-files where and this is a, a X-Files is not like your best source of uh, paranormal research, but they make a point in the episodes where they talk about the satanic panic and specifically satanic ritual abuse, quoting, like, the FBI investigated this and there was no evidence of it. Like, you are much more likely to find evidence of widespread conspiracy cover-ups of child abuse in a lot of religious organizations, like, accepted religious organizations from the Catholic Church to currently the Baptist congregation to the Mormons like it's a lot of projection and and with that yeah the FBI said that okay there's not really substantial uh, evidence of of SRA but but law enforcement did get uh, law enforcement and mainstream media were more than willing to provide an alley-oop to the groups that were accusing uh, that were saying that this is taking place. They were more than happy to. And and the McMartin trial, I don't know if it still is considered the longest and most expensive trial in American history, but uh, that was obviously aided and abetted by, by our judicial system. Mm -hmm. Joe. Yeah, uh, well, the OJ case finally, uh, finally beat the McMartin uh, uh, trial in terms of uh, longest and, and, and most expensive. Um, so there were some law enforcement who, who absolutely were, were sort of into this and, and presented themselves as kind of, um, the term was cult cops, actually. There was a book by a guy named Robert Hicks, who was a, a whistleblower, was in law enforcement, and said, I've been to these occult crime seminars, and they are ridiculous, uh, and they're dangerous, and people need to know what's, what's going on in them. But one thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is, in the 1980s, and, and to a lesser extent even today, you could make a living as an occult crime expert. So all you had to do was say, I'm an expert in this, and you might have a, a degree from a diploma mill, or you might say, you know, I'm from the, the, the school of the streets or something like that. And then a local law enforcement would pay you thousands of dollars uh, to, you know, set up a little fake altar with plastic skulls and say, this is what you're gonna see at a satanic crime scene, this sort of thing. And from the perspective of a police chief, you know, you've got this budget for officer training and you just sort of spread it around, right? So he's like, well, I'm gonna pay for an arson uh, seminar. I'm gonna pay for a fraud seminar, a cult crime. I don't know what that is, but I'll pay for that too. Uh, and so this is something we often forget is that people were actually profiting uh, off of the panic. In some cases, having entire careers out of it. And in addition to the profit 
a big motivation was to spread disinformation willfully as Christian extremists trying to convince everyone that every kid who was into the goth subculture was on their way to becoming a mass murderer. Like it was an active thing to reach out to police things and, and just mislead them. Um, my the, the one that I will like beat people over the head with is Dawn Perlmutter, who has a book called Investigating Religious Terrorism. Perlmutter does not have a background in occult anything. Their degree is in uh, art history. And yet it has become, and last I checked, was still used as a criminology text on religious cult abuse and what religions are satanic and dangerous. And my friends, I can tell you, she did almost all of her research on uh, very skimmingly like websites and whatnot. I'm in there as a religious terrorist, so it's a little personal, so it's my whole group. <laughs> well, and, and it's an honor just to be nominated. Yeah. <laughs> Perlmutter uh, is an expert witness in murder trials and is paid, you know, well for for those mm -hmm. uh, services and uh, has also been employed by the defense where someone has committed a murder and said, no, 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 but the person I murdered was a Satanist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's a payday. Right. For for people willing to, to do that kind of work. Well, and and. Actual lives were ruined and I'm thinking, you know, uh, Damien Eccles and the West Memphis Three spending 18 years in prison, people's businesses wiped out. Uh, I think there's still some people in prison as a result of some of these accusations um, from uh, from 20, 30, 30 years ago. Where are we? Where are we now? I mean, okay, so there was this pushback. Maybe it fizzled faded away satanic panic uh became less the topic of gerardo R R rivera and 60 minutes had their moments and then we kind of moved on so tied it up with a bow it's all done we move on we're an evolved species and everything's good now right i mean what wh where are we now okay danny <laughs> why don't you start with that well i was at um the latest demi Nichols court hearing and I got to uh, hold the phone as uh, his uh, legal team came out and talked about everything. And a lot of it is being thrown under the rug with subversion and twilight language, which unfortunately many, many people are experts at. But I mean, in, in his case, uh, it was about the habeas corpus statute, which stated that although he is not in custody of the state anymore because he's no longer in solitary confinement, he still has that felony conviction laying over his head. But the, the court is just looking at it from like a very minor issue saying he's not in custody of the state, therefore he's free. And uh, they actually lied about not being able to find the DNA evidence to exonerate him because he's he's acquitted, but he wasn't exonerated. So it's, it's gotten to the point now where um, political spheres are openly lying and withholding information. And the biggest thing that uh, Damien said, which I think really rings true, is he's like, hey, I've gotten a lot of press coverage about this, and look how badly I'm getting screwed over. Think about all of the people that get no coverage. Yeah, I've, I've been contacted uh, for expert witness or, or consulting uh, jobs on numerous cases from about the same time period that are exactly like the West Memphis Three. Of There's an unsolved crime and someone says, I bet it was the goth kid. Uh, and some of these people are still on death row. Uh, some of them have, have been exonerated. Uh, my understanding is the West Memphis Three was released on an Alford plea and the conditions of the Alford plea are, I'm innocent, but I agree the state has the evidence to convict me. So it's protecting the state more than it mm. is uh, about serving justice. Yeah. And how i guess set up where we are now as far okay so the mcmartin trials uh daycare uh it, it, there was children that were essentially uh said that they had been sexually abused and it seemed like those those responses were uh, not coerced but that it was planted and they were uh encouraged to say certain things and part of the accusations of that was the satanic group running this daycare had underground tunnels. They were flushing babies down toilets. Uh, 
How is that similar to what emerges in 2017 in a pizza parlor? Uh, anyone can take that. I think you know where we're going and how, where we are now. I'm just going to say that the underground tunnel thing is weirdly persistent. Like the, I mean, never mind. Like, let's consider the logistics of that. Like, we, we can't even manage to put like an underground tunnel or a ferry between, you know, Toronto and Cleveland where I live. Like the logistics of tunnels that are a network around the entire country. And yet there are people who fervently believe that, that this is why you don't see this. Uh, I'd argue actually in some respects, it's an unconscious expression of their sense that these things are below, beneath, hidden, like the, the sort of corruption underneath culture um, unwittingly expressed as a secret network of tunnels through which all of the evil may pass. Well, what happens in 2017, Michelle? Well, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of obvious ones, uh, not the least of which is we had elected a pretty horrible person who kind of makes things, normalizes a lot of awfulness. But the more specific thing, I, I, I don't want to, like, dominate. Well, I'm... I uh, Danny, take it. I'm just someone yeah. set up Pizzagate, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that that's when Q started posting on 4chan. Uh, that that's that's when the the QAnon forums became very, very, very active, and uh, it's it's really interesting how uh, the the disinformation language is used because it, it 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 ropes in people that think that they have good intentions because they're like you know in child sex trafficking it's like yeah who doesn't want to be behind that that's like a that's like an easy win it's almost like very can I say this very carefully because I don't want to be chased around town but uh, it's like how Scientology pulls you in with auditing. You know where it's like it's 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 a system that seems very pure and wholesome on the outside but then the more and more you get drawn in then they start talking about child sacrifice which the media's freaked out about ever since crowley wrote about it the yeah of course hashtag save the children oh, of course i want to save the children yeah. who doesn't it's it's we want to protect the most innocent and vulnerable of our society our kids and and yes the rise of q pizza gate weaponized parents fears of harm and, and society's harm coming to their children. So, but Joe, when you saw this emerging, did you think, oh, okay, this is, is this, was, did you view this as the exact same thing that you've seen before and we've seen for hundreds and millennia prior to this? Or was there an interesting evolution with QAnon as a result of Pizzagate and, and where we go from there? Yeah, I think the big difference between QAnon and what we saw in the 1980s is that now this has been weaponized for political purposes. That's the big difference, right? Um, so, you know, uh, Pizzagate happened because uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign had very poor security on their emails. It was hacked by the, the Russians, put up on WikiLeaks, uh, which is how they knew that she was uh, occasionally going to this pizza parlor in D.C., uh, and then people began saying, well, there must be a satanic sex dungeon underneath the pizza parlor. And here on the menu, when it says, you know, extra cheese, extra cheese clearly means, you know, <laughs> um, a four-year-old to, to sacrifice or something like this. And I think a lot of people did this without even believing it, just for fun, right? We know urban legends are often spread the most by people who don't believe in them. Uh, but one individual took it very seriously and, of course, went in with an assault rifle and demanded to see the basements. And they said, there is no basement here, right? We, we, we simply don't have one. Uh, I also remember teaching uh, the Martin preschool trial and teaching about the satanic panic at, uh, at, at the university. And uh, Trump had just done a kind of uh, photo shoot with his generals. And he said, this could be the calm before the storm. And some a reporter said, what do you mean by that? Are you planning to invade someplace and i think he just wanted to say something cool i think he just thought it was a cool thing to say and if he had said something like well you know the price of freedom is eternal vigilance it would have been fine but instead he just said oh you'll see you'll see <laughs> and so on 8chan a, a group formed called the storm with speculation about this and this is where q comes from and i remember talking about the mcmartin trial and telling my students and this whole thing just came up called the storm 
And it's the same thing happening all over again. And within a few months, we had full-blown QAnon and Tom Hanks is murdering people for adrenochrome and there's mole children under Manhattan. And it's just sort of unlocked the imagination of, uh, of thousands of people. And you have folks like Roger Stone who are manipulating this for profit and for, for power. Yeah, I'm muted. Michelle, do you want to add to that? With, I will try to avoid ranting. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, more specifically, I guess I would say, like, you know, you talk about uh, you're, you're very vocal on Twitter discussing these topics and you've you utilize this uh, this term Christo fascist fascist. So add to what Joe said and and sort of where do you think this is going? I mean, is this scarier or more dangerous than previous iterations or is it the same same situation and, uh, you know, different label? I mean, first, I 100% agree with Joe's word weaponized. Uh, that's not to say it wasn't weaponized in the past, but it wasn't weaponized with such well-connected organization and it was not as well funded. Uh, you had concerned mothers of America, like, you know, attacking Hot Topic and doing boycotts so you couldn't have tarot cards because those were a gateway to Satan. Um, you would have companies just refuse to print books because their printing presses, and this is a direct experience, might become possessed <laughs> by printing such a nefarious book. Uh, like, like, so this was something that definitely impacted people's livelihoods and impacted people's life uh, I, as a pagan clergy at the time, would be the main point of contact for people who had their, who were in court because people were threatening to take their kids away based on their open quote satanic practices, which usually boiled down to they were either Wiccan, goth, or just a little too weird or an ex to want to put up with. They weren't Christian enough. Uh, Flash forward to where we're at now as I was watching this start to unfold and see them just sort of fold in every conceivable conspiracy theory that had been laid in the groundwork of folks who were into the X-Files and Supernatural, who'd heard every little bitty story from the previous satanic panic, all the chick tracks that are still floating out there. And the difference is I see, and I don't think that, that I'm wrong, there's multiple other cult experts who see an additional hand in this beyond just a few religious zealots who are like clutching their pearls over their kids wearing black. Uh, this is a hatred and a fear that I think several groups or even world governments are opportunistically using and stoking the disinformation with the intent of whipping up a base and finding something that they can all agree on that will incite a violent response. And what they agree on is hate. It it does seem like this, yeah, this, uh, I don't want to say perfect storm, but this intersection of hate as far as uh, all of the uh, the weirdos are now, they find there seems to be finally this message that where all of the weirdos can be kind of grouped together and if it's the goth kids the gay kids the trans kids the the uh, occult kid what it's like oh you're all one group now that we can collectively hate and go after with underneath this kind of banner and it's i grew up in the 80s i grew up and i grew up a catholic kid and the satanic panic that you know the concern was definitely real in my household but i remember the mrs lovejoys of the world and and um you know tipper gore seemed like the 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 closest uh kind of well-known politician that uh or politically uh politician adjacent i guess that i was aware of as a kid that was beating this drum and now we have members of Congress openly discussing this, referencing Satanism and pedophiles and also talking about others in the same breath. Uh, and that terrifies me. I mean, 
talk me off this ledge or talk me away from this ledge because it feels terrifying to me. No, I mean, well, they, they are open. Well, I, I will only say they are openly and brazenly calling for people to violently lash out. They are specifically like we have members of Congress. We have people in positions of authority who are asking their base to literally go out and kill the people that they find threatening. And no one is pushing back against that. That's where we are at, and that's why it's incredibly dangerous. And I'll pass it to Danny. Yeah, and what's scary about that is uh, how they get people in and their membership retention strategies are very much akin to like the Cambridge Analytica strategy that there was all that data that came out because the way, specifically in Facebook, the way that you can target ads Facebook is just a data collection company, obviously, but you can collect so much data on someone. You can target people that are homeowners versus people that live in apartments. There's so much about people you can target. And what that does is that aids their confirmation bias. Like whatever belief that you have, if you input that belief into the internet, the internet will use that algorithm to just give it, just spit that back at you and then just give you that web of related information. So people uh, the, the the key word that Michelle used was uh, disinformation, because this isn't even misinformation. They're not mm -hmm. misconstruing the truth. They're just like completely telling you like radicalized, non-factual, just completely off the cuff information that they're pawning off as true because of just the swarm of data and money that they're throwing at it that is going literally Un unchecked like you can have facebook ads for like far-right extremist groups that have books about how to kidnap and kill people and you can just make ads for that on facebook and it'll get through but if you're someone like a sex worker or a, a trans model um they'll like deactivate your account immediately joe i want you to add to that but but adding to what danny said when i talked about the evolution of this to me it strikes me as potentially even more virulent because in the past movements have have maybe fizzled or uh, because there is a lack of evidence. Uh, there's, you know, facts kind of break through. But we live in a time where it's especially easy to be enveloped in these vacuums, these social media vacuums where you don't you don't have to be exposed to truth. You can live in your entire bubble of misinformation and treat that misinformation as quote unquote alternative facts so does that virulence does that make this more dangerous joe again this maybe this is your turn to talk me off the ledge if you can yeah i, I can try i mean it's it's not a great situation it's it's bad uh we know from history that these types of witch hunts tend to flare up when there is a period of social transition right when things change too fast, too too much. Um, in the true Middle Ages in, in Europe, there wasn't a lot of witch hunting. Right? The witch hunting got really big in the 16th and 17th centuries, and this was the period of the wars of religion, right? Where the governments and the religions that authorized the government were all sort of thrown into chaos. So I see a similarity between that time and now when we're really questioning, you know, does does democracy work as a valid system, right? Who who is the president? Um, as well as all these other issues which people have, have raised about things like trans rights and, and, and gay rights and so forth. So things could are especially bad right now. They could get better in the future. I think the most important thing is that if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat it. A lot of people don't know there was such a thing as a satanic panic. Or if they do, they say, but that was in the 80s. We don't have that now. The, the panic never ended. And everybody needs to, to understand that. And second, it's really important that everyone understands that algorithms control everything we see in here, right? We basically live in the matrix. And this isn't even something with some nefarious conspiracy. It's just that Facebook and YouTube profit the more your views are radicalized because that's the more time that you will spend on their site, which means the more commercials. And just like the matrix, we like it. It's wonder. It feels good to have all of your prejudices and and pre-existent notions confirmed by everything you see. So we need to really alert people to kind of snap out of this and that the truth hurts and is painful. And if you read the news and you feel like you're you're super right about everything, you're probably not getting accurate news. Does anyone care to add to that? 
just a resource, there is a, a fantastic intellectual, Dr. Damian Williams. He's a woven on Twitter who, like, if you want a good deconstruction of, like, what the information age is doing to us and what to look out for, I, I recommend woven. The, I, I have to be an optimist because that means I have to maintain some hope and believe that the world can get better and, and things will um, get better. And I tend to say when I talk about these matters, I tend to say that I feel like this is the last gasp of the dinosaurs, but it's going to be a very violent gasp. Um, and hopefully we'll get through on the other side. I don't know when that's, I don't know when that's going to happen, but unfortunately along the way, people are going to get hurt. You know, people are going to get killed as a result of this. Um, what can be done? Okay. So the algorithms, we're living in this world of algorithms. We're living in the matrix. Uh, what can be done? What would you like to see done either from our, our, our politicians? I mean, is that the answer? Are they going to come out and say these are wackadoos and they're living, you know, the crazy town banana pants land or, or what, you know, what do you want to see done? I mean, the first thing is to push back against it. I mean, the second thing, especially in the media is to question it. Like not just like happy think pieces of like, yeah, the, the, the New York times pitch bot level of, you know, credulity, uh, but, but to actually be like, okay, here is this thing that people believe this is wrong and here is why. Here is also why it is dangerous. So if you have someone who goes on a television show or who does an interview and comes out with one of these like gonzo talking points, you don't simply go, huh, that's really weird. And don't like question them on it and ask for verification and ask for like, where do you get those numbers? You know, where are you? where cite your sources please like we need to insist upon that in this era where post-truth has become sort of the norm there is this both sides ism that has really dominated news media and where well okay on on you know one hand you're saying that that uh representative is crazy for mentioning satan and uh and baby eating but Maybe their point but, is also valid. We should give them the chance to respond to yeah, that. But what about trans kids? Like, like that's like yeah. this. It's like, come on, these, these are not even remotely equal. So yeah, pushing back, raising questions, demanding sources, demanding actual backup, and not like some Cambridge Analytica nonsense that was pretty clearly like paid for, uh, multiple sources. This is. This is kind of a, a question that's an interesting uh, segue that uh, or related. What do you think it would take to unbrainwash, deprogram family members who are staunch QAnon advocates? What is the best way to speak to people with these views? My experience is the same subset of people flame, uh, fanning the flames of satanic panic. So how and and i can i i mean i might as well have written that question out because i know people who are totally in bed with these theories these conspiracy theories how what do you do joe joe what do you do well i mean i'm in i'm in print um talking about uh, uh q uh, so i'm a scholar of new religious movements which is the term that we use for groups other people call cults I don't think it's ever helpful to call a group a cult, and I don't think it's helpful to frame someone's views as brainwashing. I think QAnon mm -hmm. is very dangerous, and that's why we need more kind of nuanced um, uh, ideas of, of what's actually happening and why people are getting sucked into this. Just saying it's brainwashing doesn't actually uh, help. Having said that, um, I, you know, I do think that um, you know being in in these groups is often like joining a gym. And the gym makes you sign a contract where if you stop going, you're going to suffer a, a penalty for it. So you have an incentive to, to stay in. Um, if uh, you refuse to ever speak to your uncle again because he ruined Thanksgiving with his QAnon uh, conspiracy theories, well, now he has even less incentive to ever come out of QAnon. So I think one of the only concrete things we can do is to actually still be there for these people, right? And say, hey, if you ever want to talk about stuff other than QAnon, right? Um, come, uh, uh, come, come visit me. I know that's hard to do and it's scary, 
but I think if we have this kind of purity mentality of I can't associate with anyone who is connected to this stuff, that actually in the long run makes the problem worse. Danny, you want to respond to that? Yeah, yeah I, I think the, the best thing, um, so I'm in the South and I've, uh, I'm a jazz and RV musician and I've had to go on tours with people that are, that are very evangelical and the most productive conversations I've had with them are um, remaining fervently curious and encouraging that in them because people like that, uh, they're, they're not bad people. They are good people that were told what to think and not how to think. And that has molded their personality to the point now where they have an exterior that is very closed off from other people. So one of the best things I've done is to try to generate curiosity in them because whenever someone has curiosity generated, they start asking questions. And whenever they start asking questions about about everything, always stay curious. Because if you turn on the news, the news doesn't make you ask questions. The news just tells you what happens. It, it doesn't make you think for yourself. It just tells you this is what it is. And this is what you should believe. And this is what's happening. And this is so terrible. And you should feel bad. And then I, they, they give you ads, you know. I, I, I see your point, And I want to agree with your point. But Michelle, it, it's one thing to say that these are not bad people. But when they say you shouldn't exist and it is my mission to remove you you heathen whose belief system and identity is oppositional to to what i believe in the world i you're you're taking away my way of life with your way of life yeah. it's kind of hard to to hear that and say oh well that's not a bad person i mean acknowledging that isolation is one of the active and very effective tactics employed. And one of the ways in which they will ensure that people are isolated is to encourage them to behave, to evangelize, to knock on people's doors, to get people to push back and make them feel like it is them against the world. Uh, and that really just reaffirms the fact that like they belong with this little, little niche group. In counterpoint to that, each person has to do their own threat assessment of like, what can you do? Like, do you have a family member who is going to actively physically harm you because of these beliefs? Well, sitting down and being like, well, let's, let's try to see things from one another's perspective is not gonna work. Um, I, I don't wanna give too much information away, but I, I have a member of my own group who last year had an uncle who was totally Q-pilled, um, killed his wife, killed the dog, killed the cat, killed himself because he was so sure that like the world was ending and he was saving them like like the fact that family annihilators are coming out of this movement uh is undeniable um and that is someone that hanging around is not in your best interest trying to have a dialogue is not in your best interest so understanding like where are you at the person who is affected by this family member or friend uh what kind of mental trauma, emotional trauma, are you enduring by trying to talk to them? And basically doing the calculus of, is this worth my life to try to help them, to try to fix them? Because sometimes the answer is no. Yeah, that's a more accurate assessment as to even whether or not the, the person that you're talking to is you just have to look out for your for yourself because it's it's such a complex assessment of a person's psychocosm as to where their beliefs stem from that a lot of times it just has to boil down to safety which as a trans person living in Texas I can 100% resonate with and I should I should check my privilege at this point just point out I can I can talk about uh, you know being friendly and reaching out to people who are different but I'm also you know a, a cisgendered white guy in Texas, right? So I can feel safe in situations where a lot of people necessarily uh, uh, won't, right? So I should, I should. But that's a really good point because you are uniquely situated. That you're, The calculus is in your favor. You actually can be like, hey, I'm a cis white guy. I'm not really very threatening. Let's have this conversation because it's not going to blow up in your face in a way where somebody may literally show up at your door and shoot you. Uh, whereas yeah. some of us who like I'm intersex, I'm very visibly not someone who fits uh, it's that you know I'm I'm white so there's some privilege there but it's not like I make any pretension that I'm Christian uh, and so like all of us our calculus is different and like one of the questions was what do we do folks who have privilege who can have these conversations with greater safety are the ones who should step up and do so yeah 
I 100% agree with that. And, and, and Joe, I actually, as someone that's in academia and uh, again, trying to be an optimist, I actually have a lot of optimism about uh, younger generations and students. And I'm curious about your perspective when you're dealing with students and universities, like, is there, or is there support in discussing this and pushing back against sort of this new wave of moral panic that is also politicized and weaponized or so is, so is the university kind of supporting that? And also are you finding with your students that they are actively uh, engaged with this material and trying to push back on it as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I have good days and bad days, right? Texas State for a while was the most Nazi-targeted uh, campus in America. We had uh, white supremacist posters going up with bizarre conspiracy theories about, you know, stop the Jews from bringing all the Mexicans into Texas and stuff like that. Um, we actually apprehended some of the people who were doing this. They were not our students, um, which I find very interesting because the right often accuses colleges of indoctrinating young people who's actually trying to use the campus, right, to to indoctrinate people. In fact, a, a slogan I think I saw on Michelle's Twitter was the things they accuse are the tactics they use, right? Mm -hmm. um, but generally, I, I'm, I, my students give me a, a lot of hope, right? Even though they're coming from all different backgrounds in Texas, uh, I teach a unit on Satanism in the New Religious Movements class because the students want it, right? And I have brought Satanists into the class and I've said, you know, I'm not platforming Satanists. This is your opportunity to study a Satanist, right, in a, in a controlled setting. And the students are mostly interested, right? Even my students who were sort of raised with the idea of this is this very scary thing and would probably never associate with a Satanist normally, were kind of able to see their humanity a little bit. Um, and so I, I, I think that gives me some hope. Yeah, and I, you know, that, that, uh, give me that line again, um, from Michelle's, well, Michelle, what's, what did you say again on Twitter? Um, oh, God, the, the things they accuse are the tactics that they use, or I, you can probably quote me better, because yeah. I get stuff out constantly in my, uh, unmitigated rage. I am a meme factory. <laughs> but, but also very soundbitey. You're just turning out one great phrase after another, but it's true. It's justifying violence, you know, ironically. They're justifying violence uh, in the name of eradicating evil, through and and um, uh, David, the uh, the author David Frankfurter said that it's historically verifiable. Historically verifiable atrocities take place not at the hands of non-existent cults, but rather during mistaken attempts to destroy them. Um, yeah. So, before before we wrap, any predictions on? next steps for the the next this next step in this in this strange movement moral panic that that we're in the midst of predictions danny oh gosh uh the way that the world is going right now i i feel like it would be foolish to make a, a prediction uh the the only thing that that i can hope that people do is that uh, especially my generation and all the Gen Zers, I taught at a music school for 10 years and a lot of the kids that I taught are Gen Z, they are the most curious, interested kids. I think the, the best thing I can hope for is that people just keep asking questions and that we keep having a conversation that neither side is censored because that's when disinformation can, can really take over is when there's no conversation happening. So hopefully we can have as intelligent conversations uh, as possible and people can just keep asking questions and mm -hmm. that um, the the truth will hopefully prevail, which is very optimistic. Joe, are we moving towards some sort of zenith moment with these these groups? Well, I'll tell you one thing that gives me hope, and that's Alex Jones being fined $40 million for saying that a mass shooting was actually a, a government uh, uh, you know, operation, uh, I think that would be a wonderful thing to, to see continue to happen. And of course, I believe in free speech, but there needs to be uh, a strong message that there are consequences to sowing dangerous misinformation that hurts people uh, all over the internet. So I would like to see more cases like that happen where people are made to answer uh, for the things that they say. Yeah, 
It certainly seems like while there are some factions politically and uh, and and in the media and uh, these groups that are trying to roll back things like gay rights and religious freedoms, there's also hopefully a wave of acceptance and, and, and growing acceptance and people that are wanting to push back against these other forces. Uh, Michelle, any any predictions on what's next? If we want to stave it off consequences and substantial consequences, uh, like a, a mass internalization of Karl Popper's like paradox of tolerance, where there's certain things a tolerant society cannot tolerate if it wants to persist. Uh, on the other side, what will push back against that if we go off of history, they will try to take books away, they will try to take education away, they will try to take any inroad of alternate information that could possibly push against the very controlled narratives of this terrifying movement. Uh, and you will see it spread in it where it's not just Satanists, it's not just groomers, like it will consume anyone and everyone who is not, not pristine and pure enough. Uh, and if allowed to just keep going all the way off of its thing, that will also begin to include the people who started in the movement themselves. No one will be pure or perfect enough. That's the nature of this sort of sort of thing. Everyone is suspect. Terrifyingly well said. I wish I could end on a better note than that. I, I, I wish I was less pessimistic. I, I devoted 20 years of my life to being a media, media liaison, to being the person who went and like when a, a kid in a black trench coat shot up a school, I'd be like, this is not necessarily a person who represents this community. Yes, they have a profile on vampire freaks. That doesn't mean this. Like, like I was totally the like, you know, uh, and I don't know, it's it's really disheartening staring down my 50s and going, how are we here again? I, I, I still, my, the nugget of hope that I have is that we are seeing, while there is th these movements that are doing this, and I most certainly agree with you, I mean, this is why we're having this whole conversation, I, I do see people in a good way getting weirder you know embracing mm -hmm. bigger concepts accepting people that are different from them and and removing some of those lenses uh and and welcoming in a a bigger brighter world to borrow somebody's poetry rage rage against the dying of the light precisely the where can people follow it i, I really again i kept trying to find some like great mm. optimistic thing but it's uh but that's that's the best i got right now yes is we're 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 raging <laughs> um how can people support your work and keep up with what you do danny uh, I am the producer for the Ultra Culture Podcast. Our website is podcast.magic.me and our uh, online mystery school for magic meditation and mysticism is magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. And if you want to look at my musings and um, what what I have to say about everything, my socials, I am at DannySophia777. Great. Michelle. I am not always a rage monster on Twitter, but Seth Anakim is my online ID there, YouTube, everything, S-E-T-H-A-N-I-K-E-E-M. Uh, otherwise, find me on patreon.com slash haunted. Probably the easiest thing because my name, first and last, is my website, but not always easy to spell. And not only is she, is Michelle a soundbite generating machine and a dylan thomas quoting machine it's uh you have great twitter threads you, you do some excellent twitter threads uh and joe uh i got a low budget uh google sites page but if you type joseph laycock into google it should come up right away and you can see links there to all of my articles and interviews and books excellent i thank all of you for joining this conversation i, I found it fascinating and informational and um 
and you guys, I, I'm, I think again, the hope is that you guys are out there, you're doing good work, and and the message is getting out there. So I consider that a win. So uh, thank you hope each. As long as we're having these conversations. Exactly. Exactly. So with that said, I'm going to say that you guys out there, thank you for joining. I want to hear from you. If you have strange story, you can record it. You can write it down. Send it to talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. Might share it on a future episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Download each week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our Talking Strange videos at youtube.com slash denofgeekus. Finally, give us a follow. Let's have a chat at Aaron Sagers on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and at Talk Strange on Twitter. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Bye.